Hammer of the Gods. Yes, hello, and you're very welcome. Oh, God, no, I started on a weird energy. Uh, I leaned back. You don't, you don't lean back when you're starting something. You lean forward you when lean you're starting something. It. Yes, you're very welcome to the 13th episode of Higher Fidelity. It is upon us. We are upon it, and you are upon this recording as well. And now, upon... Starting to sound strange. <laughs> upon, upon, upon. Just before we get into it, as I arrived at Ev's today to start the recording, I heard... I heard <laughs> I heard through the door Through the glass Through the glass I heard the phrase That's the Lonnie Donegan connotations for you <laughs> It's just lovely to know that people don't change Yeah I can turn up here And that will be being said I can always rely on that It's the second half of 2020 And you're still turning up to my house And you're hearing me say things like that Before I've even answered the door to you <laughs> That's what I'm talking about when you're not around. Which sort of just takes away from the singular experience I thought I was having with you throughout life. I thought, I, I thought this stuff was reserved exclusively for us to obviously not. Yeah. You can just come up with that to anybody. Anyone who listened. Well, to be fair, it was a me and Ev conversation. What was the conversation? What, what, about what? About <laughs> how funny the line is, uh, I've got a girl six feet four, sleeps in the kitchen with her feet out the door. I brought that up saying it makes me laugh still, even though I heard it how many years ago. And then Ross brought up the fact that it's in two songs, Red Hot and The Cumberland Gap. And then I was saying about Kurt Cobain, the fact that he like love is like Rock Island Line and all this sort of stuff for the lead belly connotations I think that that's he's being hardcore and cool and the funny <laughs> thing is that to people in Britain and the fact that it has this whole other history of the Lonnie Donegan connotations yeah. of Rock Island Line it's such a different affair yeah. than the kind of hardcore lead belliness not that Lonnie Donegan isn't hardcore and great <laughs> it's just not the same thing Kurt Cobain died not knowing that Rock Island Line is essentially a comedy song in this part of the world. It's just like an upbeat bit of crack yeah. fun hit but it's in it's in the world of Val Dunigan, not in the world of people dying where they stand because yeah, of their skin. Prison chain gangs and stuff like that. Like literally, yeah, like Sunday night at the London Palladium. Yeah, he might as well have been covering Tommy Steele. Rock with the caveman. Before we get into the sort of the meat and two veg of this episode, mm. first of all, we're going to have a little starter course of small slices of melon and a finger bath with Spider-Man. Cool. Never say finger bath again. Finger bath? Do you like a little... Wait, that's not soup. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. But yeah, Spider-Man 2. Not Spider-Man 3. Okay. Original Spider-Man. Cool. Turns out the logical inconsistencies started way back in the first one. Straight out the rip. Raimi was on that loco juju. <laughs> Talking about the third act. Well, first of all, before we even get into that, two instances this week of people tagging me in Tobey Maguire, Raimi trilogy, Spider-Man related stuff. And I sort of like that there's an element of synonymity arising now between me and that film series. Yeah. I enjoy that. And I wish to cultivate it more. But yeah, so in Spider-Man, in the third act of Spider-Man, the first film. Where Tobey actually acts for the third time in the movie. Yeah, his third act. Yeah. Okay, cool. Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man is facing off against uh, Willem Dafoe. I nearly said Frank Welker from Green Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> He's the man who voiced Freddy. In Scooby-Doo. <laughs> uh, and has done for 60 years. I don't know why I was going to say Frank Welker. He's on your dream fan cast. cast yeah. I don't think of all the treasure we could have. Let's split up and look for the Spider-Man. <laughs> so they're facing off in the final thing. Green Goblin tries to like betray Spider-Man, tries to like, get him on side, then betrays him, commands the glider to come flying towards him. Spider-Man dodges it, things like that. Now, it's one of the more interesting deaths in cinema, I think. Not because of the impact on the plot that it has or the fact that it's Peter losing another father figure in his life, whatever. It's the means by which he ceases to be that is strange to me in that he takes a glider to the pelvis. They don't go for the sort of like classic Hollywood hackneyed chest impalement. They don't go for the sort of evil deadish head chop eyes. They go for the groin death. Right above the dick. 
But now, see, right, okay, a high-speed anything to the pelvis is going to eradicate that dick. Yeah. A yeah. glider to the dick will put an end to it. Yeah. There definitely would have been superficial damage to the package. Probably. Right. Spider-Man now obviously brings the body back to the Osborne complex, the building. Harry Osborne walks in to see Spider-Man laying his father down in the chaise long. He reaches for the gun that just happens to be in the drawer right beside him, which again suggests that either the Osbournes have a gun in every location in the house or Harry just happened to be where there was a gun right nearby. Yeah, America. Harry has no reason to suspect that his dad was an evil villain. He, obviously, he suspects Spider-Man's done something wrong because he would have no reason to suspect that his dad's done something wrong. No. So he goes over to inspect the body finds that his dad has been killed. Yeah. That Spider-Man has inexplicably relinquished him of his clothes and inexplicably relinquished him of his genitals. Yes. Or that there was definitely damn Ravaged, if not gone entirely. <laughs> yeah, if you imagine Harry's internal monologue, fucking Spider-Man <laughs> killed my dad, brought him to me dead, naked and dickless and said, peace! Right? <laughs> the seething fury and rage is a bit more relatable now because it's obviously coming from a place of massive confusion. What <laughs> what turn of events led to this <laughs> happening? The possible <laughs> context for any of that. Yes. Day. Adding to that, when Harry finds out that Peter is Spider-Man. When he only rips his masks off in Spider-Man 2 and goes, Peter, you killed my father. Why wasn't his thing, Peter, what happened to my dad's dick? Yeah. <laughs> what did you do to it? So that, and now this, this was brought up to me by a good friend and they said they heard it on another podcast. It's from the, this was brought up as a topic on the From Superheroes podcast where cool. they discuss all the different films. It seems like a good podcast. Uh, so that, that's not an original thought of mine. I came across and was like, that's pretty weird. But it's an anomaly that is never addressed throughout the film. Yeah. Because J. Jonah Jameson would have had a fucking field day with that. Spider-Man's in the fucking genital mutilation. <laughs> Spider-Man slices Norman's knob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Masked menace mangles Mickey. <laughs> or fucking like bell end brace for busted billionaire. <laughs> it's another just little like another tiny little cherry on the dessert that is the lunacy that is those three films. Mm. I saw a video as well like, recently on a YouTube channel called Owen Likes Comics put up a thing saying Spider Man three is better than you remember. It can't be. It's not. I already think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can't be any better. Just a little Spider-Man note for today. Something, again, you wouldn't have considered before. And again, the further you dive into these films, the more you realise these, these happened. Isn't it funny how whenever anybody mentions Tobey Maguire, my head jumps to watching the bonus features of the Spider-Man DVD in about 2005. And it's just Tobey Maguire going, I had to eat lots of tofu. In strange, variously prepared ways. <laughs> <laughs> I've never said it until now, but the whole time, and there's a lot of Tommy Ware talk, but that's always in my head, him going, I had to eat lots of tofu. <laughs> Don't remember that. In strange, variously prepared ways. <laughs> Enough Spider-Man talk for today. Moving on, in the last episode, I brought up us hilariously turning up in a BBC3 TV show called Uncle. Mm. I've since moved on to another TV show that I was re recommended to watch, only because the second season is supposed to be great, and I have to try to struggle through the first one because it's not great, is The Umbrella Academy. Yes. Which has had two of the most surprising soundtrack editions of my life. Mm. First one being The Hollies Were Through. Were Through. That turns up in like episode one or two. And Sent that song careering, ploughing headlong into the Hollies top five most listened to Spotify songs. Well, it's, it plays very well and the show was great at opening the episodes with a good song. Yeah. It took me a while to realise it was actually The Hollies because I was going, there's no way that the Hollies are appearing in a live-action adaptation of a comic book written by Jared Way, the singer of My Chemical Romance. 2020 can't get that weird. Surely not. But it did. And then the next episode opens with Lost Woman by the Yardbirds. I shit you not, people. Now, I'm tired of saying that we've been predicting popular culture for the better part of 15 <laughs> years. The Yardbirds are finally having their moment after we started that moment mm -hmm. back in 2012. Now, also as well, I don't want to draw a tenuous link, but Robert Sheehan, who plays Klaus in the show, he's a musical advisor on the show. He saw us at Flat Lake in 2012 at the height of our Yardbirds obsession. Yeah. I think it stuck with him. I mean, embedded deep in his psyche. And it, it stuck with him for eight years, so much so that when Jared Way came and said, do you want a song in this film? Maybe your character was. And he was like, yeah, lost one by the Yardbirds. 
big up the Cavan Massive. <laughs> we played that riff, jammed that riff, listened to that riff so much that we deserve a writing credit on it almost. <laughs> that we like sent the fucking shockwaves back through time. But when I heard it initially, I did have to stop the thing and go, this is a this is a reality. I did feel like a section of me did recurse infinitely into a fractal version of myself yeah. and experience an element of what I've known to be called ego Just death. Just like your man in the Umbrella Academy. I haven't I've only watched the third episode Okay Shit You've even predicted The fucking plot of the show Well it's a time trap So I assume someone's Going to recurse infinitely At some point Also on that note as well We we were coming back From something late at night What were we doing Well you showed us The cut of the video Oh yes okay We were put out a track recently No we're about to Sorry I'm just caught In this time trap <laughs> <a little. laughs> We wrote Last Woman We've just put a new song out so we, We're getting to the closing stage And I'm getting this track out I finished off a cut of the video And in my excitement I finished off at about 11 o'clock at night On a Monday uh, I came rushing in here To show you straight away We went out to Ross's Woke me up Woke him up later. We outside Ross's house At about half 12 at night Throwing rocks at his window Like in Passport to Paris I sent him a photo Of his bedroom window Or what I thought Was his bedroom window And said this you bruh and then I looked at my phone again Tim was there, and you just said what the fuck <laughs> but he came out we got in the car watched the video it was all cool and then myself and Evan and Bex enjoy totally undercutting any sort of like band defining moments with making it about shit songs from the 2000s oh yeah yeah he listened exclusively to Busted and McFly on the way home we sure did what was it Air Hostess Thunderbirds are go yeah Crash the Wedding you said no yeah obviously Year 2000 got a spin at some point yeah and then we moved into McFly area now there's one McFly song that we listen to exclusively is Five Colours in Her Hair the US version from the Just My Luck soundtrack many people will agree the film is a torrid mess and was just a vehicle for Lindsay Lohan uh, a vehicle that drove her to rehab <laughs> not a good film Chris Pine gives an underwhelming performance as a very bland vague love interest but that riff though but that yeah Chris Pine was around back then Chris Pine's been around man's f- in his 40 like <laughs> that gentleman is in middle age I think I'm getting my Chris's mixed up so Chris Pine is Captain Kirk yes yeah. which Chris is Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt Chris Pratt there's too many Chris's and there's not enough Peters am I right no but the way you, you the way you remember it is Chris Pratt is a Pratt yeah and Chris Pine is a Pine is a Pine he smells fresh anyway we predicted the Yardbirds being put in the Umbrella Academy that was us Heal of the Hunt everybody steals our thoughts on the reg oh, lads shall we yeah, we shall. Say it. Kick in. To the first section. I didn't say it. This is Sonic Seconds. Yes, this is Sonic Seconds where uh, each of us play a few seconds from a song that we think just makes the track. I'm not going to go first. That's right, I'll go first because mine's always the worst. First the worst, second is the best. My my one does have a hairy chest. <laughs> Mine comes from the sexiest man. The sexiest man? The sexiest. Uh, Joe Jackson. Cool. Easily one of the most unfortunately faced gentlemen in rock. <laughs> if any trouble were all made into one man, it was Joe, it was Joe Jackson. <laughs> Face build, hairline. It's all bad. Songs, good. Songwriting ability, top notch. Yeah. Mine is from um, I'm the Man. Oh, great. We used to cover that. We used to cover it, and that's what got me thinking. Because it was always, I love this bit. You'd be able to choreograph, which we did choreograph mm. this bit. Now. On the effing tour. It's like vocals, guitar, bass, drums. 
everyone gets their little one second to shine. It's great. I do love that song mentioned the yo-yos and skateboards. Oh yeah, and karate. karate. Or kung fu, sorry. Yeah, kung fu. Kung fu. Do we, was that ever, ever like released in anything? It was on the vinyl B-side to get into it, I believe. Why? What? Single like, of yesteryear. If you put effort into a B-side, yeah. the A-side is more respectable. There's lots of kind of underground good taste connotations about finding good, cool B-sides. We were always never let like do the cool B-sides thing. Yeah. It was always just we find a live version of something or just crap out a really quick cover of something. B-sides were such an afterthought. I'm the man and believed my soul just shat them out in one take. It was the weirdest thing, yes, we, we, we were doing them in Rack, we were doing some live session stuff for the second album and then they said, right, you need to do your B-sides. We're like, Grand, okay, we'll crap these out. Did the two takes. Ross is like, okay, we can back out. Are you happy with those takes? We said, yeah, of course, happy with them. We literally had to like t- get a photo taken or something like that. No, I think we, I think we like broke for lunch or whatever. Yeah, sandwiches yeah. are here, so we went outside. Ross was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do those those vocals again when we come back. Yeah, went out, had the thing, come back in, and we said, Ross, like, okay, I can do those vocals again. The the A and R woman who was with us there at the time, she was like, oh, I already got the mix off the desk and I've already sent it off to be mastered. Uh, it's done. And when we wanted shit pumped out quickly. It wasn't happening. <laughs> Where yeah, was it? It was so silly. But we've ne- I was never proud of any of our B-sides. Even like some of the deluxe edition stuff on I think Little Victories that was released in Japan. I think there was like eight deluxe edition tracks in that. There were, and some of them you were mean just... my one writing credit you don't like? Which one was that? Which is... I can't even remember <laughs> it. Oh, that you keep me waiting. Yeah, you keep me waiting. But the record, like, the recordings were always pretty oh, dodgy. They do, they do drop off a cliff in terms of fidelity. It was frustrating that we were never like given the, like, the room to like properly explore the B-sides ethos no or it's like other people you hear about b-sides it's like oh yeah they did this like great like pastiche track you know squeeze do their own stars in 45 or you know all sorts of wacky shit that people get up to because they're given the time to do so yeah. uh, again because the thing of b-sides equaling the a-sides in terms of quality and becoming like acquiesce that big oasis song yes is a b-side no one's ever going oh you know the live version of cc Ryder from king tut's wow that's way <laughs> better than what a shame again i don't own any copies of any of our albums other mm. than a framed one other, other than my gold disc <laughs> just to kind of burst the bubble a bit of sort of success in music we got given gold records for our first album Snapshot for sales in excess of 5,000 copies in Ireland I think it's 7 but we were doing a gig in the academy and they came in and gave them and we said oh did we break 7,000 sales they said ah you got close we just thought we'd give it to you anyway <laughs> we rounded up to 7,000 yeah no odd one but yeah I didn't release we, so we released I'm the Man yeah did, was Concrete Jungle ever released we did uh, cover that that special song it was probably on the live Japanese album that's got a pretty wacky track listing I think yeah whack listing <laughs> am I the only person who's ever listened to that album probably uh, e- easily I've never listened to the live album you know you proofread things we didn't even, well I didn't even proof listen that live gig no that's what I'm saying I, I did I listened to it and was like yep that's fine there was we did record a live gig in the garage in Glasgow that was a particularly good gig yeah I'd love to hear that actually I don't know where you would find it probably on the floor of the toilet in the garage in Glasgow yeah, but yeah no there you go so that's Ross's Sonic Second yeah that was Jesus I forgot what we were even doing there <laughs> Uh, right, would we move on to mine then? Yeah. You know, I'm always, I'm Mr. Ear to the Ground, top new sounds, always want people to send me the freshest beats. Because well, if it's got a good uh, beat, it's got a good beat. The hottest mixtapes of what's going down. Just yeah. good pop song. Though. Yeah, I have to Gr- hear. Charlie XCX Boys, great pop. It's just great pop song. It's great pop song. Quality pop. Banging. Uh, so I've been listening to Dr. Feelgood a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, been mad on the uh, the Jippy Mayo years. I was going to know, because you've been playing stuff in the car uh Excessively, and um, <laughs> what's the Take No Prisoners? What's that album called? Oh yeah, Take No Prisoners is the box set. It's on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should fucking know this, but like the the cover. I like Richard Bar. What's that called? Oh, the first Jimmy, yeah, BC and you. Doctor Feelgood being a hits band was the Jimmy Mayo era, and I so like more people would associate Doctor Feelgood with the Jimmy Mayo era in terms of the hits that they had in terms of Milk Alchemy than they would with the Wilco era, which is supposed yeah, to be like, which the Wilco era has been has benefited from a certain amount of historical revisionism, definitely. Which I'm still I'm totally in favor of. You know, Oil City, it's fucking it rocks. It's the fucking one of the foundational. Inf- 
influences in my life yeah. but there definitely is historical revisionism the first three album Dr. Wilco, the Wilco Johnson era mm. is the like hard shaw men in a band as I say like defined our teenage years things like that yeah. Dippy Mayo comes in they become a good crack lads pints band they do they do become banter banter pints pints detective shows detective shows put out an APB on my pint yeah. there's a much merrier atmosphere while still maintaining for the most part the kind of hard-edged hard-jaw cop show short hair angry thing yeah, yeah so funny you mentioned be seeing you because my controversial Doctor Who or Doctor Who <laughs> the two doctors in my life the, uh, Hartman who feel good for those at home Hume, Hayes. Dr. Hartman is our local GP <laughs> fucking just great doctors man just all great all great great pop two very controversial now in the current climate or the climate of the last 10 years of Dr. Figure being rediscovered by people and becoming a kind of a cool thing to name check. Again, where's the credit? We love Wilco. He's a fucking man. Great crack. Stupidity's obviously the most iconic He famously album. wasn't good crack in the band. He famously was a, a, like fucking absolute vacuum black hole of crack. In in two senses. But he was, he was a crack cum. Stupidity, obviously the most iconic album. But BC and you, I've officially decided, I think, is my favourite Dr. Figure album. Wow. I've always had a soft spot for Malpractice. Again, very looked over. Yeah, yeah. So BC and you, I think, is officially my favourite album. And it's the first one produced by Nick. And he's co-written some of the songs on it. And I think Is this a, She's a Wind-Up and all that? Or oh, that? yeah. She's a Wind-Up, Baby Jane, That's It, I Quit, written by Nick. Nice. Loads of great songs like that. As long as the price is right. It, the list goes on. Looking back, sorry, how could I forget? I was looking uh, back to see if she was looking back to see if I was looking, looking back, back at her. her. It's like their most, I think, tonally... Consistent. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I would class it as a non-skippable track album. The whole way through, I want it all every time. I'm never yeah. fucking put out by hearing something I don't want to hear. I think we can ascribe a Phil Collins quote to that. Yeah. From the Tarzan soundtrack. I want it all. Can you show me? I want to know about these strangers like me. Yeah. Because they are strangers like you. They are, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I feel when I listen to BC and you. And so one of my top tracks from BC and you, from which this Sonic Second comes, my other, sorry, my other hot take is that the Jippy Mayo era is just the best lineup of the band. Yeah, I think I think for like a good live show, definitely I would have mm. been for There was less at stake with Jippy Mayo in the band. It was just good crack. Good yeah, fun. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if I had to pick a time to see Dr. Fulgur, if I had the opportunity, I'd be like, I want 77. I want Jippy in like a leather bomber jacket. See, I used to get caught between, yeah, would I want that, that top of the pot of parents. Well, again, where Jippy Mayo what Noel Gallagher's going to look like for the yeah. rest of his life that, the clip of them doing uh, She's a Wind Up on Top of the Pops he looks exactly like Noel Gallagher but I, I, I go from like the, do I want to see them at that like French gig with a really weird stage where Libra losing a blue suit yeah, or yeah. do I want to see the South End Corsal gig I know I don't know if that's yeah. benefited from historical revisionism as well the South End Corsal gig funnily enough the whole show is up on Spotify now some of the songs are slow did they stones it they're like they've ketamined it it's like really mad Dr. Figured in a K-hole yeah, I, I think they must have been told lads this is being filmed I, no fucking amphetamine bullshit. It's all about the amphetamine bullshit with Doctor yeah. Feelgood. I want, I want the pupils to be fucking dangerously dilated. totally invisible. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah. No, I, what, I, did they go big or small? Ross, you're a drug head. What what effect does amphetamines have on your pupils? I suppose every drug. You just can't teach them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wish. <laughs> <laughs> Usually the pupils are big, aren't they? Are they big? Is it? But it's like that's if you're spacing out. But like, surely if you like are hyper focused, it'd go. <laughs> Surely, wouldn't it? I don't know. Heal of the Hunt, I want Dr. Feelgood hopped up on pills and booze if I'm seeing them at all. <laughs> not now. Yeah, you yeah, know, not now. <laughs> I want them fucking like speeding their fucking chops off. Septum's collapsing because of the extensive beak launch that they had. Absolutely. Beak launch is uh, Dr. Feelgood slang for yeah. cocaine. The Cursal gig, if you listen to it in full, the songs that they didn't put in the concert film, the songs that they edited out like 20 yards behind, she does it right even, they're really slow. It was so boring. I had to stop <laughs> listening to it. Unlike the sight and sound 
down in concert, Jippy Mayo, 1977, half-hour show that's up on YouTube, which I've been watching most days for the last while. <laughs> from that album, from the first Jippy Mayo, Dr. Feelgood album, there's the track My Buddy Buddy Friends. It's a Charlie Musselwhite song. It's the meanest, coolest, badassiest Librillo that there ever was, almost. He's fucking screaming. He sounds like the most dangerous, like, Reservoir Dogs-style bad bastard with a baseball bat <laughs> type man ever. The lyrics are all like, fucking, I can't trust nobody, not even my buddy buddy friends. They're going to shoot me in the back and there's this great moment and I can imagine Nick Lowe's ecstatic reaction to this little moment in the stop at the end of the track holy fuck finally So I can just hear Nick Lowe going whoa man that was really hot or worse than that effect because he always talks like that <laughs> See you later, alligator. Started playing. <laughs> Can we play? Okay, this is an anti-Sonic seconds. I I have this theory, and it's 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 not just mine. It's everyone's. Mm. F- fans are the ones who know exactly when a band is bad. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a fan until you can really like spew venomous bile about something that really is important to you. Dr. Figure, an amazing band that had like an unstoppable run of albums that were all flawless and great. They did also release easily one of the worst Sonic examples of recorded music, helmed by Dave Edmonds. So again, is it on paper? Dr. Feelgood, the boys, in a studio with Dave Edmonds. What are these fucking rad cats who are mad for 50s rock and rollings that, what are they going to cook up? And they cook up this. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> it's bad. A load of shite. Stop that. Nobody factored in. It's like, this sounds like a fucking match made in heaven, but it's like, oh no, I've just looked. It's from 1990. Fuck. <laughs> Keyboard brass, how anyone thought that was a good idea. P- pints must have played their hand. You know, uh, <laughs> it says like it was recorded on a pint. <laughs> is, that, is that your sound seconds done? Absolutely. Just Lee. Brillo. Breathing in. Breathing in. You literally adore the breath of that man. All I need is the air that he breathes. Oh, very good. Any long-time listeners of this podcast will know that clearly established by the calibre of topic that we bring up that we have a low tawdry and attraction for cheap tawdry music that exists solely <laughs> to contribute to a growing mountain of like inanity. Yeah. I.e. we were talking about Five Colours in Her Hair earlier on. Literally. Minutes ago. But there's one band that even in our wildest headiest fever dreams of bad taste we cannot get on board with and before I say the name I do want to say the lead singer of this band did die recently all respect to his departed soul Mm. the band are called the Cardiacs (laughs) and they are upheld as these like art rock pioneers that redefined acceptability in music yeah they're not to quote Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park what you call discovery and for the purposes of this analogy music I call the rape of the natural world (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> when applied to what you're about to play that's yeah <laughs> what makes this band <laughs> what makes this band fall apart is that they fully believe what they're doing it's crushed by its own self-importance and reliance on pretense uh, yeah and sincerity and almost like fucking sanctimonious fucking nature yeah, the smug approach they have to their anarchy makes it sickening to listen to they're yeah. not like court jesters satirising the art form they're like bloated kings commissioning it hoping that it's the future this is the emperor's new clothes of music yeah and the emperor is presiding over like a totalitarian regime of this is how things are supposed to be <laughs> I think it's too blandly incongruent to be interesting yeah Damon Albarn thinks they're great mm, and Blur got them to support them they would as well though because again yeah. it's uh, uh, just not a fan we did find 
literally a sonic second of the one segment of redeemable music. Is it in uh, the song... The song with the pig squeal. Eat it up worms hero? Is that what... <laughs> Is that what it's called? Genuinely is the name of that song, I believe. Yeah, it's so funny that it's, the songs are called like Eat It Up Worms Hero and all the ideas are meant to be so abstract. It's like you've never heard anything this crazy, this avant-garde off the wall. Like It's going to be like if aliens genuinely came to Earth, this is what they would be listening to. But it doesn't have anything to remotely enjoy about it whatsoever <laughs> in that context. Eat It Up Worms Hero. Again, that just sounds like a bad like shonen anime. Yeah, it really does, yeah. We'll just play some of it just to get an idea of what this is what the band are like. It's 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 cursed unhinged Super Mario sixty four music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's it's absolutely perfect music for memes around today, but just no one knows it exists. We haven't even got to the Sonic second yet. Not even. They fucked it. That's it. Balls to the wall, who sort of Yeah, <laughs> It just suddenly goes great for like half a second. It becomes the best thing they ever did and they abandoned it for the sake of lunacy. I, I can't get on board with that at all. Um, it genuinely makes me sad and angry. I'm going to play a bit now from Tired and Feather. This was the, not like their, their debut single, but their semi-hit. There's a video for this and it was like made by and shown on the tube. So the fact that like Jules Holland has actually had to introduce this clip at some point. This band invented art students being shit yeah and being annoying this is a great advert for closing down all third level education <laughs> it's banjo kazooie video game early 90s pre-special effects graphics card music and if it wanted if it wanted to exist in one of those then let it i've got no problem with that type of dinky music being in a fucking mario card game or something like that but the fact that somebody's actually like I'm a more pure, true artist than anybody who's ever been born. It's all presented with such a straight face. Yeah. You know, and it's such a kind of a, we're so freaky, you've never seen anything as freaky as this, and we're going to, like, I mean, I genuinely am freaked out by them, so, I mean, it worked. <laughs> there's no sort of mischievous wink no. to it, but we know we're all fucking taking Yeah, there's this. no self-effacing irreverence in, these, in it at all that, that makes it, to me, worthless and useless. This music played while the plague of locusts attacked Egypt, and I don't think you should be able to drive for, like, five hours after listening to them. <laughs> mm. It takes an hour for your body to process ten <laughs> yeah. seconds. Of the cardiac, <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned dog like Sparky. I don't want to mention dog like Sparky. That's no. like, leave, like, okay, so we've given you the tools by which to look up the cardiacs. Dog like Sparky, I don't want it to sodomize this episode. Listening to that song, it is like a nightmare where you're being chased around your house by the theme tune from Foster Home for Imaginary Friends. It is sleep paralysis in sonic form. <laughs> it really is. That music watches you while you sleep. Um, that was my Sonic Seconds. And closing out Sonic Seconds, uh, that's that. Going into the next segment, let's let's quote the Cardiacs just in a, as a solid in memoriam quote. Just to sort of, as I say, we kind of, we ragged on him there, but obviously a life was lost. So just to uh, commemorate him, we're going to quote lead him into the next section. I finally understand it, but I cannot find the reason. Mm. This is Pete's patent pending. <laughs> This is Pete's patent pending where I just pitch products that I think are a good idea. So my plan is we get perennial supporting role actors, David Crumholst, Steve Zahn, Laura Dern, get them to cover Poison Ivy, Searching, Yakety Yak, and call them 
the co-stars. <laughs> oh, I obviously love that. Again, I think David Crumholtz and Steve Zahn would do well in about Steve Zahn has proven his track record of being good in a band. Yeah. I think Laura Dern's a bit of a wild card, but I feel like she's I feel like she'd be a soprano. I think she'd be a, like a, a bass voice. What's the what's his, a low bass sing- a soprano? Baritone. Baritone. Yeah. Is soprano high singer? Something like that, yeah. Tenor is like normal, I think. Like bar- like yeah. for saxes it's like baritone is a low and tenor is the middle one. But like a, a soprano We're musicians, by the way. <laughs> what what's the hierarchy I think of soprano? Sopranos up, yeah. But then also the Sopranos is a TV show about hard men. Would they be high singers? That's their name. It's the family name, is it? Mm. Tony Soprano and everybody. Uh... <laughs> I thought it was like a Jersey Boys type thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I thought little Steve was in him, because it's like a music thing. <laughs> sopranos is not a music thing. <laughs> I drastically misunderstood what the Sopranos was. It's not like seminal crime TV series. It's like a that thing you do style. You mean like The Wire isn't about ringing copper together into long strands. Also thinking that we, uh, bio- we like genetically splice together a monster from a children's book with Stephen Stills. Gruffalo Springfield. I didn't like it either. <laughs> a scouring pad with little bumps for blind people. Yeah. Brello pad. Nice. <laughs> oh. uh, now, the police force in Ireland employed the use of unorthodox artistic methods to keep the peace. Avant garde. <laughs> that was uh, Pete's patent. Any other ones? You threw in one last time. Well, when you said Gruffalo Springfield, Gruffalo Mozzarella as well could have been one, but that's not a band. Peace patent Yeah, that was Pete's patent pending. And now we're going to kick on into... <laughs> I don't kick anything in my life. Why do I insist... You've never kicked. I, haven't, I don't kick. You kick back. I hate that. I hate that. Okay, we're going to bitch on into... We're going to fuck ourselves into <laughs> the next segment. Yours by an archives. Your, yours by an archives. Songs we section where we uh, we you know (laughs) (laughs) where we take our time introducing it (laughs) we we venture down there's a secret entrance in a grandfather clock that we go down this craggly old musty staircase into the bowels of the inner sanctum of um, Bedrock Studios where you're sh- we're shuffling about in the dark uh, there's echoing footsteps you know we've got a little like candelabra we all like we're dressed like Scrooge you know carrying little candles around sometimes Mum- there's too much imagery mumbling and grumbling <laughs> yeah I'm just I'm just really glad that there was about six or seven words in between craggly and bowels yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like going like Blowing fucking dust off shelves and old books and stuff. And uh, sometimes we stumble across a demo from our not so recent, but sometimes quite recent, sometimes uncomfortably recent past. <laughs> More recent than it we would ever want. We go <clears throat> uh, carrying the heavy old tapes of the songs Sorry, back up. Uh, so yeah, we've come up the stairs <laughs> clutching to our, our breast we just we look at a hard drive and find a demo um, <laughs> yeah so we got these old songs that we're not going to use this track is called Happy in the Knowledge Europe has its problems but they sold us any continent the wants of the few outweigh the needs of the Secretary General needs a healthy morning supplement To start a few ladies with their tombstone 
Get die, get trying. <laughs> that is a fucking long song. That's that, a long song. Uh, 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 we like the Boomtown Rats. Day one with that song, I was listening to a lot of Tonic for the Troops at the time. Mm. The, every aspect of that is lifted from a different Boomtown Bloom Rats song. <laughs> Bloomberg Rats song. <laughs> I, I hate the fact that people are going to hear that vocal tech. It was definitely the second time you sang it. Uh, it was definitely done very quickly. We had no... Myself and Evan would labour for hours over like getting like the parts right and making sure they're all space right and then get to the vocals and go, just put them down, man, it's fine. <laughs> It's like, yeah, fucking dinner's ready, I think. Yeah, exactly. And also, we never gave you the proper time we're doing those demos, and the, the key's not suited for you. We would always like, do the song and then bring Ross in, and then you go, the key doesn't sit right. And we're like, eh, <laughs> it's fucking, <laughs> fucking done now, mate. We had a noticeable lack of, like, sort of angry man songs, for want of a better word. And it was written in about sort of late 2014, early 2015. Mm. There was, uh, it seems weird now to think about it, but there was, like, no active world ending thing happening at that point in time it was no. a relative, the relative moment of like calm and relaxation across the coast and along yeah so we've written on a time where it seemed like we were kind of being like political and sort of angry about something but we weren't going to be dragged over whatever hill we were going to die on with whatever we were talking about in the song it was kind of just about nothing it just was like yeah. vaguely sort of given out I, I had like an image of like the Sergeant Rock going to help me single cover by XTC and the sort of yeah. the idea of mash yes yeah yeah, yeah. La- lads in warfare turmoil but they're having the crack with it uh, that's where it kind of was coming from vaguely pretends to be sort of political and things like that kind of like jokingly current affairs like yeah pretend me, but at this point in time there was nothing drastic there was no current affairs yeah which was kind of handy it occupied an area I like to call the clash's grey area 
or Strummer's Folly. <laughs> you seem to be giving it about something, but there's no way to actually pinpoint yeah. it and then be dragged over the coals about it in like an interview. Yeah, there's way more Clash songs uh, like that than they or anybody else would like to admit. Then we brought it to, we were recording Spit Name It with Ethan Johns, we were playing them all the songs, uh, we played them this. Europe had like fallen apart at this point. Like the film Olympus had fallen, <laughs> applied to all of Europe. I can't remember what happened. It was terrorism. Oh, and Brexit had just happened. Brexit had just happened. It was post Bataclan. So again, the first line is Europe has its problems, but then so does any continent, right? Yeah. We listened to that. Ethan was like, yeah, Grand, okay, cool. you are going to be taking the task over like, some of the lines in that. Yeah. Are you able to stand up to that? Are you, able to, are you going to be able to like, deal with that and be able to answer that effectively? And I, the extent of my political knowledge is invested in that song. I, so <laughs> I was like, I am not going to be able to fucking, ta- if, if, if Paxman comes after, comes after my whole, mm. if this comes out, it's, we, kind of, we decided against it in the end. It was a song that I thought was good, but we weren't going to be like attacked over, but in the wake of the world starting to crumble, it's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Everything put pay to it. <laughs> Everton put the tin hat on it. And literally Donald Trump became president at the same time. I'd suddenly listen and go like, ah, yeah, it's kind of, that's fine, it's grand. I do think it does suffer a bit from the big squeeze busyness. Definitely, there's loads of ideas in there. There's way too many. Some ideas that are going to resurface. One, some of, One of them is in, I forgot to do what to... <laughs> what dead language did you just speak at me? <laughs> what bit is that? Oh, the boom, da da, what? Uh, in face yeah, in with the face radio. radio, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Resurrected that bit. Some little arrangement bits have already been resurrected in upcoming Zen Arcade songs, and mm-hmm. uh, some of them should be. Some good little bits, but maybe just all scattered across different songs is the way there to do is, it. It is just so bla- Like I said, Cruel Burnett is a Joey's in the Street again ripoff. Yeah. H- hidden better. It's in a ghillie suit, whereas this is three toddlers in a Mac <laughs> pretending to not be a Boomtown Rat song. Don't want to call anybody out but a nice little bit of uh, feedback from uh, Olivia who listened to the podcast I think probably one of the only rider dies involved in this uh, so thank you but it sort of like negged us a bit online in terms of put up a, a post about uh, how she listened to I would be lying eight times in a row one night which is obviously very nice to hear flattered glad to hear that it's getting a bit of an audience most likely to be revisited at some point ideally after a rewrite but then absolutely came for big squeeze <laughs> called it tragic tragic that's one word to describe it yeah an incorrect one. You don't just come for someone's baby like that. That's my father's guitar riff. Don't talk to me or my song ever again. <laughs> so that was who introduced us. If you did, take us out. Did you give us a quote? We didn't quote going in. Oh, who cares? The format's fucked. <laughs> 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 that was um, BFD. <laughs> that was uh, Y M and A. Yeah, that was yours, my knockout. Okay, next segment is... Okay, new segment, right? Okay, yeah, everybody say it. New segment. We got a new segment. Come on, Rush, good to have you. What, got what are we doing? New segment. We got a new segment. <laughs> okay. Yes, we've got a new segment here. This is... Fo- this is Vopa. It's not Fopa. That, that was a Fopa. Singing, singing badly, and we listen to them gladly. It's the Vopa. Oh, shit. Sorry, one more time. This segment is called Vopa, where singers sing things not the way they should be. I'm still working on the pitch. Uh, but yes, this is where we just play example, funny instances of funny... Um, singers are bad sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, s- singers can fuck up. Uh, Ross. <laughs> yeah Talk about that Oh they can fuck up I've, met, I've had many of Opa But uh, I'll go first And mine comes from uh, Mick Jagger at the Grammys In 2012 I think Yeah He's performing Everybody Needs Somebody to Love It's a golden Mick Jagger thing The whole thing is great He is in flying form In a green suit 
great hair and a rocking bod and a tush that would make you mm, uh, and he's singing the song <laughs> he's working the crowd immaculately yeah. you look at this man and go you actually invented being a front man and are perfecting it to here. quote my uncle's Facebook post from the time Mick finally got over the shyness <laughs> Again, Everybody's Mighty Love as well is one of those like instant dopamine release songs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's after the first verse and he does the, the bit that I'm thinking of. The it bit must that be are. somewhere along there. I don't know what this is. Everybody having a good time. Everybody having a good time. Everybody having a good time. Oh, dear. It's, again, it's a mistake. It shouldn't have happened, but it's great. I love it. Mick is just on high dough. He's on high dough. <laughs> Very funny. That's way funnier than I remember because we've obviously quoted that at each other for years now, for literally, quite, quite literally uh, nine years. It's a Lonnie Donegan connotation. It's got serious Lonnie Donegan connotations about it. Everybody going to have a good time. Everybody having a good time. <laughs> He gets a bit of an old man throat, a bit of a gargly throat, and there's a bit of a... You get this sort of thing going on there in the back of his throat. I don't like the Stones, um, <laughs> but that gets a pass. That and Keith Richards' Run Run Rudolph is great. That's my faux pas. Faux pas. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ross, you're up. Um, mine comes from someone we don't like. Oh. Um, and it's not even that good. Nice, you got a little note. Huh? Just have a little note there. It literally says nothing on it. It's like I'm the man, Joe Jackson, and now this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is from Kanye. Kanye Glasto intro to Bo Rap. You didn't say a full word no, there. I know. <laughs> I, fuck me. It's bad. It is really bad. Mama, <laughs> I just killed a man. Oh. <laughs> Put my gun up to his head. <laughs> Pull the now he's dead. <laughs> And that's as far as I go every time. That's I'm, even, like the Mick Jagger thing, that's shitter and funnier than I remember <laughs> being. Yeah. And the weird thing is, I've never watched it back. I watched it at the time live and we went, what the, the TV, fuck? Yeah. And then never went back to it. Because, of course, we were in the hotel in London the night that was on TV yeah. because we were driving down to appear at that glass and breathe the next day. Yeah. That was the time we filled in for Iggy Azalea. <laughs> it was, yeah. Azalea Banks. Azalea Banks. <laughs> I didn't even question it. I was like, yeah, Iggy. <laughs> Like the idea of the logic being Azealia Banks pulled out 212 Female black rapper Who do we get? The Stripes <laughs> I know <laughs> Terrible fit Makes no sense no. I love that But uh, yeah We were drafted in At the very last minute At the end of our UK tour to appear Such was our uh, How accustomed and bloated We'd become To massive career opportunities We were finishing A UK tour That was quite gruelling We'd come off the back Of a European one And a Japanese one I yeah. think We'd been on for like Five weeks or something like that We were due to go home On like the Friday We were parked up in London Packing our bags Literally packing our bags To head to the airport mm. A woman from the label Ran on and said Guys guess what You're on Glasgow On Sunday like ready for us to go and we all did a Jesus fucking Christ we all pinched the bridges of our noses and went for fuck sake the idea of appearing at the second the second biggest stage mm. of Glastonbury was nothing but an inconvenience to us mm, mm. such was our hubris hot take I don't give a tuppenny fuck about Glastonbury at the best of times <laughs> Glastonbury is just such little significance in my life people go on about it like I've, heard, I've seen celebrities talk about the time I'm at my peak happiness I heard, saw somebody say in their life peak happiness is when I'm at Glastonbury one of the peaks of my life is Glastonbury because um, <laughs> we met Dick from Dick and Dom that's a peak and I, I mean I wasn't even there for that so I mean I can't <laughs> I can't even fucking lay claim that. I was in the urinals uh, in the toilet and like the porta toilet things like the long trough thing. And I was in the cubicle at the same time. And I was pissing away and then looked over and went, Dick! <laughs> 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 I 
Dick! Yeah. <laughs> it was obviously Dick McDuff. Also, that same Glastonbury, uh, at the time, I was able to pull off a very convincing Mick Jagger impression from Start Me Up. Yeah. I had, like, knocked that into shape and really had to work. <laughs> you had workshopped it. We were heading to, like, to the stage. We were heading to the John Peel stage where we were going to be where we were gonna be for the day. Mm. But just on the way there, someone mentioned to Julian, our manager and jazz, that I had I did a great Mick Jagger impersonation. I said, oh, do it now, do it now, do it now. So I obviously never turned out an opportunity to perform. Tuck into it. And as I did so, Johnny Marr walked by within six feet of us. And I felt tiny. I felt two inches tall. <laughs> Johnny Marr just saw like a child yomping about. And oh, I was still in my imperial face at this point. So I was pushing the boundaries of my belt. He was just, he just saw me. Basically, well, I thought I was doing like a, a Mick Jagger presentation. It, to all intents and purposes, it looked like the truffle shuffle from the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> you were young enough as well to be inaccurately and unfortunately labelled overexcited. That was the last thing you wanted. You wanted to play cool. But he's like, oh, the young guys are so overexcitable and they're just fucking buzzing to be at Glasgow. I fucking hate Glasgow, okay, mate? And for me to scream, I'm doing a Mick Jagger presentation would not have helped my case at all Adam I have an exclusively uncomfortable experience at Glastonbury <laughs> i.e. playing uh, ping pong with Liam from the Cortinas that was horrible and and losing 10-1 to me you went to go see Stevie Winwood play and he's that me and Ross stayed playing ping pong I think actually, you went to see Evan Dando I actually wasn't there that day I stayed in the house we were staying over in I just sat in the house all day watched the Undertones documentary on DVD and went on YouTube even when even when you're there in an exalted position like we were to be to be playing on it yeah it was born as shit and but like I like how the, the lack of interest uh, didn't even fucking go to the day off that we had me and Pete went into the festival made our way into the festival and didn't see any bands just played ping pong the entire day <laughs> punk man <laughs> did you play your vopa? no no so my vopa, I first of all I'm going to commit what several people might call a faux pas and say I just unashamedly absolutely love Shawadi Wadi I love them so much they're my favourite band <laughs> I keep going on about them all the time to everybody. Started off liking them for ironic, funny purposes. I've completely forgotten about all that now. I just love them. They're the world's greatest rock and roll band. Disclaimer. We don't agree. Me and Pete don't agree. I still like them for hugely kitsch-motivated reasons, but I, I have I have spent a huge amount of this year listening to uh, Shawadi Wadi. This is what COVID does to people, people, right? Wear your fucking masks or else people get into Shawadi Wadi if this goes on. I spent a huge amount of this year listening to uh, their fourth album, Red Star, which features several classic hits on it so just a little bit of background folks Shiwadi Wadi were a 70s pop band who did 50s parody pastiche revival type stuff they dressed up like 50s teddy boys uh, but still had long 70s hair wore drape jackets and creepers and all the clothes that I like <laughs> did like Eddie Cocker and Chuck Berry sort of songs and originals that were inspired by that they, they were an 8 piece band Shiwadi Wadi so they had 2 drummers 2 guitars 2 bass players that alternated and 2 lead singers uh, so it was truly a rock and roll spectacular they had one lead singer called Dave Bertram uh, very much the pin up heartthrob of the group he's fine uh, lots of uh, middle aged women on YouTube uh, commenting about how much they fancy him but then they had another lead singer because there were two four piece bands that joined up together from the same album like here's Dave Bertram he has the absolute voice of a demigod that man can sing he's got pipes he's got pipes before Bertram presented himself Buddy Gask was the other is the other singer he's not fine he, this man is the is the man who committed the vote pass so he was the lead singer of one of the other bands that joined up and he was relegated to like secondary vocalist sang on a couple of singles but mostly just sang on album tracks and did fucking Buddy Holly covers so this album I genuinely could make a hot take case for the fact that Red Star by Shawadi Wadi is a genuinely really good album but the fourth to last track is a cover of Listen to Me the Buddy Holly song everything's been going great until then and it it falls to absolute pieces once Buddy takes the rain. Here is the Vopa. Listen to me. I say, Whoa. Uh, 
Evan, I think it's a testament to how bad the band obviously are when both of our Vopaz were instances of live song music. They had the chance to change that. And they just didn't bother. They just were not bothered. Uh, maybe because Buddy was singing it, they were like, let's just get this out of the way. This guy isn't even the fucking full proper lead singer. Let him have his moment. He's a few condoms short of an orgy, that man. Yeah. <laughs> he can see into your fucking soul. I'm going to have to show you. I don't know if I've ever actually presented His eyebrows him. do things to you. Yeah, I don't think, Pete, you haven't been exposed to as many YouTube clips as I've exposed other people so far. A choice of my part. Yeah. I will show you this man on top of the pops looking down the barrel of the lens and going, pretty little angel eyes and stealing your fucking soul. But he really couldn't sing and it's just hilarious <laughs> that he was given this. He was a professional singer. It's his whole fucking thing. He didn't even, it's not even like, oh, the bass player or the piano player is having a fucking go singing because he just does a song every so often and it's a crowd pleaser. He just sang. God, poor man. But obviously, uh, Dave makes up for it the rest of the time. Bartram, what a man. Always stepping in to save the day with a game-saving play. I think that's all our Vopaz, is it? Yep, that is it. Thus concludes the debut of a new segment. Uh, Peer review. I don't think it's going to be a mainstay, but it's definitely something we can reintroduce every now and then. Yeah, sure. it's, good for, it's fun. Yeah. Okay, that was Vopa. Oh, that was Vopa. I fucking hate it. My my broadcasting skills. <laughs> I don't like them. It's the Opa. Oh shit! Sorry, one more time. This is acoustic corner. Just say Ross Farley's acoustic corner. This is Ross Farley's acoustic corner. The jingle. Fine. With a voice so soft, it'll put you to sleep, and a face that makes you want to beat your knees. It's Ross Farley's acoustic. This is Ross Farley's Acoustic Corner. We're going to do Moons of Jupiter by Scruffy the Cat. The first sort of request for this segment, someone asked, would we do a Scruffy the Cat song? And we're going to. And here it is. Here we go. Read the news about the moons of Jupiter. Seen the pictures in the magazines. I'd like to go to the moons of Jupiter Escape the political scenes Having fun under the moons of Jupiter Feeling safe behind the anti-door Find a girl under the moons of Jupiter Swim the alien shore Silver helmets and shiny clothes be the same Would you like to be the same We could be the same We could be the same Send your Send your romances and your crazy dances and leave eternity to me. Doesn't seem to be anyone around I think we're alone now And the beating of our hearts is the only sound 
that's ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> ooh <dog> <laughs> yes that was moons of jupiter by scruffy the cat a band we that we found out about through the higher fidelity live episode see there was a point to them yeah it's a very good album me and ross particularly taken with the album Evan not so much but he'll get there oh yeah I'll get there I was like fully intent on listening to it listened to a few tracks really liked it then woke up one day completely forgot it existed and remembered yesterday <laughs> the whole album is great the songs like Buck Naked Beg, Borrow and Steal amongst others you really like that song You Dirty Rat as well yeah brilliant. I like that one a lot thanks to Alison M. Dow for bringing them up to us that was Ross Farley's Acoustic Corner Ross Farley's Acoustic Corner this last segment this time is I just I, I, I feel the need to reinvent the wheel every time we introduce a new segment <laughs> and I'm disappointed every time I don't <clears throat> just um, go with the flow I can't you gotta have faith 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 you gotta have faith faith faith, faith. faith. Uh. this is Fuzzbox now final segment yes uh, okay I just accepted it we're going to kick into Fuzzbox now <laughs> This is never mind the fuzz box where we have wired a microphone into a fuzz box. The other two are going to don headphones in to try and guess what song we're singing. Uh, I'll go first. There she goes by the laws. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was... It's all right. It was easy. You think? Yeah. Because it's wrong. What? It's not there she goes by the laws. No. It's a case of blatant plagiarism in the industry. And it's I'm in Love by the Merrymakers. Wait. Yeah. I bring this up to, to fool you, which I have. I've yeah. swindled you. But we've learned something. This is I'm in Love by the Merrymakers. Again, this I'm came out in the 90s. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. Not that one. I don't know how they got away with this. That's crazy, but I like it. I, it's a brilliant song. I want to sue them, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing dirty. I'm playing very fair this, very fair this day. <laughs> Stop. So on. Ever. Take it, Pete. What? Ever. Falling in love. Yeah. <laughs> Bit too easy, Russ, to be honest with you. Kind of disappointed. Oi. At least I didn't resort to trickery. Oh, always resort to chicanery if it's an option. <laughs> Where you go, Ev? <laughs> I fucking is it is it Maka? It is yes. No, is it yes? It's not yes. No. Oh. Uh, pretty love songs. Nearly. Had enough of silly love songs. Silly yeah. love songs. Why did I say pretty? You think they're pretty little liars? Yeah. Silly, silly love songs by Wings. It's the only fucking song that come into my head. <laughs> Oh great! Brilliant. Yeah, that was never mind the fuzz box. That was Klingon for that was a shit outro. <laughs> yeah, that was never mind the fuzz box, and also that's now the end of the show. Uh, I just realised that I don't like ending the show on fuzz box. This has been me. That's been him, and I've been. No, see, we've done that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have presented a podcast today to you to listen to. <laughs> 
Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and also reminding you to be rooting. Be tooting. Always be shooting. But most importantly, be, be kind. kind. And learn how to present things. Mm-hmm.